good. I'm what? the only one that gets to see the high. <laughs> <laughs> no fair. Hi. I'm Dan. Hi, I'm Patrick. I'm Carrie. I tried to be first, but I wasn't. Four Academy Awards, where we can't avoid Lord of the Rings anymore. This is If I Ran the Oscars, where we take a look at one film from every year the awards were on TV. Look at what it won for, and three other categories chosen at random. Oh, everything's random. And we tried really hard to avoid talking about Lord of the Rings, because the first film got four awards, and the second film got two. And the third one got 11, which is tied for the Academy Awards record for most for a film. Here, here. Tied with what? Ben-Hur, which we watched, and Titanic. Highest clean sweep. Because it was nominated for 11 and won all of them. The previous record for Clean Sweep was Gigi, which we did not see, and Last Emperor, which we did. And what? The Last Emperor. It was the really long one about the Last Emperor of China. I don't know if you were here for that one. Maybe. All right. Or Gigi. Yeah, well, we didn't see Gigi for the podcast. But it's the 10th film to win Best Picture without any acting nomination. And probably the one with the most other awards, too. Well, there were so many actors that were not star power. Like, they were the only main actor. No. Uh, In any case, we're obviously not going to talk too much about the plot of this, both because it's a good movie and you should see it, and because it's a book. And You should read the book. You you can just read the book if you want to know what the movie's about. What this is going to be is, one, a cavalcade of people that we've somehow managed to not talk about their acting career. And also the efficiency that they made this movie with. Because it's frankly surprising to me that they made it for the budget that they did. So, we're going to start with The Hobbits. Okay. Elijah Wood. His film debut was in 1989 as one of the kids that's playing in the arcade in the future in Back to the Future 2. Mm. Oh, because that's the one I don't know that well. (laughs) Yep. So funny. He's one of the kids that... Uh, Marty McFly is like, here, I'll show you how good I am at this game. And the kids are like, uh, this game's stupid. <laughs> and then Biff Tannen does something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and would go on to have child actor roles going up through things. He was uh, in Flipper. Well, that's an odd show. Uh, yeah, with Paul Hogan. But this is, you know, really his big thing that he's done. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I After this, I'd say his probably his next big one would be Sin City, but he really did not have anything this big ever again. And you can't. You're not. This is epic. There's, this is life-changing. I think maybe Ian McKellen is the only guy who got to have a career that wasn't just defined by being this character. In much the same way that most of the Star Wars cast, mm-hmm. except for Harrison Ford, was stuck being their people from Star Wars. Well, they need to pay their agent a lot. Yeah. To get to redirect their career and yeah. not just to be typecast. Uh, mm-hmm. Luckily, Sean Astin also survived this film series mostly mm-hmm. intact because not only is he Samwise Gamgee, he's in The Goonies, he's the main character of Rudy, he's in 50 First Dates, which I know we've seen, he's in a season of 24. He's Raphael of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 2012 to 2017. And he's been in Stranger Things. Yeah, well, I remember seeing him in that. It's all strange to me. Well, yeah. yeah I, that's, I don't know any of that. That's a very popular show on Netflix that came out recently that people go cuckoo bananas for. Yeah. <laughs> so he's had a pretty good career outside of 
Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, well, he must have a good agent. He has a good agent. I mean, he comes from a show business family. Yeah. And so I would assume that he had learned from, you know, his parents' Patty, successes and Patty failures. Duke only has one Academy Award. Yeah, well, that was her, like, her uh, first film. When she was 15 for playing Helen Keller. So, you know, that's yeah. mild Oscar bait, but I'm okay with it. Next Hobbit is the guy who played Mary, or Mary-a-Doc Brandybuck. So we're going to call him Mary, because that's easier to say. That's Dominic Monaghan. He also had a bit of a, you've only ever been in Lord of the Rings. But he was also in Lost, which was sort of a big deal as well. So he gets to be the guy that was in two things. And the fourth Hobbit is Billy Boyd, who really only was in one thing, and it was Lord of the Rings. He's been Because he was Pippin? He's Pippin. Uh, the comic relief hobbit, who is a big idiot, and but don't in the books don't they have a they have a bigger role? Mary and Pippin do. They, well, their their bigger role was mostly in the second movie. Yeah, but I mean in yeah. general. In general, yes, but this one is just oh, th- their role is fine in here, but in the second movie they help take Isengard, which is kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, he actually sang the song that he sings in this movie. It oh, was okay. pretty good. Well, good for him. Uh, next, we'll go on to the uh, d- the uh, diversity squad. Uh, that would be Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. <laughs> <laughs> the one human, the one elf, and the one dwarf. Yeah. Viggo Mortensen. He's... Or Viggo. Viggo Mortensen. He's been in some things, but he also yeah. suffers a bit from being the guy from The Lord of the Rings, as far as what else he's been in. Uh, the most interesting thing I'll say about him in this movie is uh, he bought his horse after he was done with the movie. <laughs> oh. The horse that, that he, he that, had. That he, had. he used the same horse throughout the movie, and he bought it when he was done. Huh. Good man. Also, in the second movie, he uh, kicks something while acting and breaks his foot and keeps going, and they use that cut. Wow. So he gave a lot to this movie. He did a good job. Yeah. He did a very good job. Yeah. Uh, Orlando Bloom, or or good old Orlando Bloom and Onion, he had been in some things, but interestingly enough, Pirates of the Caribbean also started the same year that this movie came out. Oh. So he went from being in Lord of the Rings immediately to being in Pirates of the Caribbean. And, just and I think kept that's going. where, I mean, that's... For in, We saw him in the previous podcast, mm-hmm. in Kingdom of Heaven, mm-hmm. another very long movie. Uh, he um, he gets to be in two things because he's in Pirates of the Caribbean, but it's it's yet another guy who's right, right. peaked here, and his other stuff is good. But right, right. once you've been in this, you kind of been. Uh, John Rhys Davies, he is Welsh, and while we could have seen him for this podcast previously, we did see him for fun in Indiana Jones, where he plays Sala. Well, that wasn't for this podcast. That was for fun. That was because it was yeah. too hot. He is to General Pushkin in the James Bond film, The Living Daylights. I'm he to visualize that. is also the voice of the tree in these movies. Oh, really? He's oh. Treebeard. He's the tree. And he is the villain that fights uh, fights in SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's done some decent voice work. Uh, not huge, but... Like, mm-hmm. he gets around. He does stuff. King okay. Richard I in Robin of Sherwood. Mm. Well, okay. All right. All right. Uh, now to the supporting cast. And we finally 
I don't know how it took us this long to talk about Ian McKellen. Because I don't know how we avoided him this well, long. Well, because he doesn't do American blockbuster films. He's a British thespian. He is, in fact, a British thespian. What with his, you know, BAFTAs and seven Laurence Olivier Awards. Right. Hmm. Well, and I, when we were going to watch this film tonight, I pulled off one of my favorite... Mm-hmm. renditions of Macbeth and it's from 1978 mm. with Judy Dench and Ian mm. McKellen. Since we don't talk about the Laurence Olivier Awards, I shall define them quickly. Okay, go. They were originally known as the Society of West End Theatre Awards mm. and are given for excellence in professional theatre in London. They were changed to the Laurence Olivier Awards in 1984. Ah, and okay. he and McKellen has seven of them. Yeah. Uh, his first uh, professional I thing was in the Belgrade Theater in 1961. Huh, Belgrade. Yep. His first West End appearance was in 1965. He joined the Prospect Theater Company in 1969 to play the leads in Richard II and Marlowe's Edward II. And then in the 70s, he was in the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National Theater of Britain. And in 81, he got his first Tony. Yeah. For, for his role in Amadeus. Mm-hmm. He was knighted in 91. Yeah. He's been a knight for a while. Yes. Uh, Film-wise, like, you could just pull up... Oh, yeah, he's got his own... I mean, we'd be knee-deep in Yeah, we'd be here for a while. Uh, I see five primetime Emmy nominations, two Tony nominations, twelve. The, the seven Olivier Awards come with 12 total nominations. Right, right. Uh, oh, one of them was in 2020. He got an award for Excellent Theater in London for Ian McKellen on stage with Tolkien, Shakespeare, Others, and You. Oh. All right. <laughs> it's a one-man show? Uh, I mean, you once... Uh, yes, unsurprisingly. Wow. One-man nice. stage performance. And he's not young. Reprising his old roles while discussing anecdotes of his life and career. It's basically an old man on stage doing things he remembers, and they gave him an award for it. So good job. He's, he's 80. Oh, oh, to still be working. Years yep. Old, something mm-hmm. like that. Nah, he real good. Uh, if you want to see things that he's done that aren't this, but you mm-hmm. like nerdy things, he's also the main bad guy in the X Men movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we go. So, you know, next, Hugo Weaving. I don't know what that means. Uh, he's, is it basketry? Uh, no, that's oh. Mister Weaving to you. Uh, he has the he's the he's the elf with the angry eyebrows. Oh, that guy. Uh, he is not. He's an honorary officer of the Order of Australia because that's where he's from. Okay. Uh, he's been in a few things. Uh, the most recognizable to probably the majority of audiences is Agent Smith in The Matrix, okay. where he's the bad guy in that movie. Wow, okay. Uh, he's also the main character in V for Vendetta. And then, can you find these guys in a Marvel movie? Yes, you can. <laughs> he's the bad guy in the Captain America movie. He's the Red Skull. He is, in fact, the Red Skull. And, in case you weren't done with him being bad guys in blockbuster franchises yet, he's the voice of Megatron in Transformers. Oh my goodness. Ooh. <laughs> he is many bad guys. And in this movie, he's a good guy. So that's new. Big, big bad guys. Yeah. Yeah. He was also in Happy Feet with Elijah Wood. (laughs) That's the one where the penguins are tap dancing. (laughs) That's so silly. It's not great. Uh, The girl won in this movie. Elf girl, not Mm -hmm. pop machine girl. We might have to give context to that now. We we will have to Is Liv Tyler, 
born to Steven Tyler of Rolling Stones, uh, she hasn't had quite the acting career that fame could necessarily get you, which makes me think that she's gets her acting jobs from actually acting rather than here's who my dad is. Give me a job. Mm-hmm. But she's also done work singing. I uh, I don't. She doesn't have a Grammy for it, but she does also sing stuff. I mm-hmm. uh, remember a movie or two ago where we talked about someone who was in The Incredible Hulk because. Liv Tyler, when they made the Hulk again, Liv Tyler played that role. She, she was... Too funny. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name yeah. of the character. No, I can't either. Well, it's, it's Betsy Ross. I remember the character, but I don't remember the yeah. actress. Uh, I did not actually pull up... I'm going to have to quickly pull up who is Girl 2, because Mom's going to want to talk about Girl 2 a little bit. Girl 2 is... Miranda Otto. I don't know her. Uh, she hasn't done a whole lot. Her major film debut was Emma's War. Don't know that. Yeah. She hasn't done a whole lot, but this is the human girl that is hot for Aragorn and mom says no walking to the pop machine because it means it's a date and she walks to the pop machine with Aragorn and he says no I I am in love with this girl no he he shared a pop with her he did but then later yeah he said I cannot give you what you seek but he walked to the pop machine with he totally did and that's just not a good idea boys don't do it so we have to tell the kids that was my admonition to my sons if you walked down the hall to the pop machine with a girl the girl would assume that you were now dating and my boys thought that I was nuts and it took them until they were about 20 to realize that I was absolutely spot on if you spend you know 45 seconds walking down a hall with a girl toward the pop machine she now thinks that you're in a committed relationship so therefore in this film when the woman offers the man to drink out of her cup. Yeah. They had just gone down the hall to the pop machine. Mm -hmm. There you go. And I could attest that even a generation. Yes. And they didn't Mm -hmm. even have pop machines. Correct. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, we... Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. On on to uh, Lady Only Barely appearing in this film, Kate Blanchett. She had a much larger role in earlier films, but Mm -hmm. the reason why they could get them for this, we will discuss later. Uh, But she's been in some things. Uh, She got started on the Australian stage in Mm -hmm. doing Hamlet. Well, Her international attention was for Elizabeth. Because she was rallying the troops. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. she She was Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. I don't, I, I think I saw that. Uh, more recently, people would recognize her as the villain from Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, she's bad. She has really pointy hats. No, oh, which character is this? She's Hell. Which actress? Kate oh, Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. This, she was, yes, you're right. And she's Galadriel in this. Yeah, she she played pretty evil, uh, pretty evil person yeah. in another film. In this one, she's a, this one, she's a good person, but there's a scene... Where she gets a bit serious because she considers if she had all the yeah. power. And yeah. then she doesn't be a bad person. Uh, while he hasn't done a whole lot, we do have to give credit to David Wenham, who played Faramir. Okay. We have to give credit to him because he got done real dirty in this movie and we have to be nice to him. Yes. His dad did not like him very much. He really hasn't done a whole lot. He was in uh, Van Helsing and the 300 movies, which means that he has abs for days. Which means mom hasn't watched it. Which means mom definitely hasn't watched it. But he did a good job. He did a fine job. Everyone in this movie did a good job. But he got done dirty in this movie. He did. His character, 
you know, was, uh, oh, I, I felt sorry for his character. Yeah. Uh, we can then quickly switch to talk about John Noble, the guy who had done him dirty. He's not a nice man. He's not. He hasn't done a whole lot of other things. He didn't get started. He's uh, 73 now. He didn't really get into acting until the late 80s, early 90s. Because he was part of a corporate breakup? No, I don't think so. His main thing that I've seen him in is the TV show Fringe, where don't he's playing the scientist who does weird science. Uh, he uh, currently, his main thing is that he has a charity for awareness of osteoporosis, which he has. Mm-hmm. His charity is called Noble Bones. <laughs> Because when your last name is Noble, you better darn use it. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Uh, Carl Urban, whose first ma- first Hollywood role was the year before this movie, uh, which means he was filming this movie while he was having his first working, role in something else, working on was Ghost project. Ship. But huh. he was in Xena Warrior Princess, which is an interesting TV show. Ooh, yeah. He would then yeah. later go on to be Dr. McCoy in the remake of Star Trek. Oh my goodness. And then he was in uh, Thor Ragnarok as well. And then he was the new Judge Dredd when they remade that movie. So, you know, some stuff. He's most recently been in the Amazon TV show, The Boys, which mom definitely would not like, so I'm not going to talk about it. Thank you. Okay. And last guy on our list, uh, Sir Ian Holm. I believe he, yeah, he's definitely a sir. He's mm-hmm. CBE. Mm-hmm. He's also... Royal Shakespeare Company. Of course he is. And we have sadly not gotten to talk about him, I don't think, but he was in Alien, he was in The Fifth Element, which is where I definitely recognize him from, and he's the voice of one of the chefs in Ratatouille. <laughs> he was a, He was an important character in Day After Tomorrow mm-hmm. as well. That one's not as high on the profile list because, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But he was Bilbo in this one, and in this, the one scene he was in here, he had lots of makeup on, which luckily we're going to be talking about the makeup. And kind of the production as a whole, because the Lord of the Rings trilogy was the first time a trilogy of movies was shot at the same time, which is why the budget was so low. They didn't have to wrap production, send everyone home, then bring them all back. They just kept going. This trilogy of movies... Would you like to discuss the cost of the trilogy or the cost of just this one movie, which is just a Mm. third of that Mm. cost? All right. I will now go to the list of most expensive films and tell you which individual films cost more to make than the entire trilogy of The Lord of the Rings. Unadjusted for inflation, because I'm not going to do that math myself. Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, and Justice League. All six of those movies cost, not adjusted for inflation, more than the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Each. Hmm. Hmm. by the titles. Well, they are big summer blockbuster movies. That, Teenagers. That, you know, you bring your family to it, everyone loves it, big explosions, lots of main actors, mm-hmm. advertising budgets everywhere. Yeah. Uh, if we're looking at I mean, this film, because you divide the cost of the budget in three, because there were Mm -hmm. three movies, 
It was less than $100 million to make. There are so many movies on here that cost more than that. It doesn't even appear on the list of expensive movies. When you go to the Wikipedia page for expensive movies, none of these movies are on it. The Hobbit movies are. They're all sitting at around 220 each. Because they did them individually. They did them individually. They didn't have... Which they... is weird because they took the one book and made it into three movies. Yeah, it is. But... It's insane how much they got out of this for so little money. And that's in air quotes. Well, it, yeah. yeah right. But in... you think about blockbuster movies now. That Yeah, they're making more money because people are spending more money. But you have to go back to Titanic to get an old movie that was made with, you know, anything like a ridiculous amount of money. And you said old movie. It, that old. made me smile. I'm sorry. Well... <laughs> Once you get past Waterworld in 1995, you gotta go pretty far. Oh, so old. No, you want to go for old movie that cost a lot? Cleopatra. 1963. Mm. At the time, $31 million. Adjusted for inflation, 263. Sure. Big stuff. Yep. There's not very many. I'm considering old movie to be pre-2010. Because that's kind of a good cutoff for... The modern cinematic era of mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. throwing money at your problems. There's not a lot. It's because this movie didn't seem like it was a budget film. Oh no! I mean, there's good production value. There's good uh, combination of using real extras and computer generated extras. Speaking of computer generated extras, and we don't want to talk about this too much. Allow me to tell you about Massive, a thing that has an acronym that was definitely designed around what it does. It makes things massive? No. Massive is the multiple agent simulation system in virtual environment. Massive. I'm, I'm scowling. Okay. It, isn't that the, the technology they use to take their extras and essentially multiply them? No. No? No. It is the system by which they, use art, they used uh, sort of like rudimentary AI programming to put a, thousands of people on the screen and make armies fight. Mm. It is the software that mm. they use to do the army scenes without having to individually say where all of the people were going. Mm. They just put them down and were like, well, if we zoom out enough, we only have to have this much level of detail. Huh. And said go and had them fight and made it look convincing. It was developed for these movies. Wow. And it is used since then for other movies, obviously. Well, but well, then they could sell it. Yeah. But it was designed so that they could have realistic-looking giant army fights. And then you zoom in to real people, and then you zoom back out, and it doesn't look like I anything's gone wrong. I started those, uh, those character creations with real people, but maybe they didn't. Maybe well, they, that's, if you're modeling, you do that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you can't really mocap yeah. that many people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You can't mocap? Motion capture. Oh. Sorry. Mocap. <laughs> Uh, the mocap for the motion capture for Andy Serkis, of course, is crazy here because he's Smeagol. We haven't talked about him yet. No, he's Smeagol. He did the voices. It's not someone else doing the voice. He does the voice, and I know that's true because he's gone on uh, late night talk shows, and they'll just give him things to read in the Smeagol in the Smeagol voice, voice <laughs> and he'll hop up on the chair and squat down <laughs> and get into character. <laughs> It's crazy. Uh, He, of course, was not nominated for anything for this. 
when he would later be the monkey in Planet of the Apes, he was not nominated for anything, despite being the main character of the movie. Because, we have talked about him before. Yeah, we have, because he showed up in... Topsy-Turvy. Topsy-Turvy. But this is really where his career has taken him, is being the motion capture guy. Because he has that physicality. He has the physicality. The facial expressions were all him. So they this just, is where they, they had him in a suit with, all with the, dots the sensors. On it, with all the dots on it, yep. And, and they don't they... use the dots anymore. They've figured that out. But mm-hmm. it's and really kind of crazy how far that technology has come because a lot of movies just, it's the go-to thing. Right. Uh, Avatar in 2010, all of those characters are basically all that. Thanos from the Avengers movies, they just stuck Josh Brolin in a thing. You put a bunch of dots all over your face and then you have a light shining on it too. They're all reflective because that's how it picks it up. It's reflective dots. And then a camera ta- uh, looks at it. And what's actually the most interesting about this movie is they didn't always mocap the right thing. He was in the scene not wearing the motion capture suit because they didn't, you can't set it up that way. But he was there in the scenes doing the stuff. So they had something to look at. Yeah. Then he, they did, he did the motion capture, but it wasn't always exactly what he did. And so the animators basically had to hand animate on top of what he was already doing in the real camera. And replace it. And sometimes if he moved differently, they had to be like, all right, well, he splashed water over here, but he didn't with the motion capture, so we got to move the water. And they did it for under $100 million. (laughs) That's That's a lot of labor. Yes. To fix things. But we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about makeup. Makeup is what we rolled for our award that it won. Because there was a lot. Oh, geez. Well, they had to get the hobbits into makeup they had to get the elves into makeup the dwarves into makeup let alone all the the orcs bad guys yeah yeah and none of the bad guys looked the same they, they had disgusting dozens upon dozens of guys in disgusting orc makeup and none of them were just like all right we got five guys that are all gonna look like this and we have five guys that are all gonna look like this because it's easier no they were all unique and the guy with the skull hat yuck <laughs> and they were like 40 makeup artists Yep. That's not very many for how many people they had on set. No. Which leads me to believe there must have been. Could have been, but... 10,000. 10, yeah. At yeah. a time. Right, right. So, the makeup people are Richard Taylor, who looks like he... Oh. Oh! He's the head of the prop and special effects company that did the special effects for this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, props and stuff. And Peter King is the other guy. Uh, he, yeah, he was nominated again for The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. So they just kept using him. Oh, oh, he did the dwarves in The Hobbit. That was him. Wow. All right. There Uh, were a lot of dwarves in The Hobbit. Oh, yeah, though there were slightly more dwarves in The Hobbit than there were in this movie. Well, I think there were a lot more Hobbit There were like 12 of them. There were, in fact, 13. Yeah, there. That was close. (laughs) Uh, Next on our bonus list is Best Song. What do we think about the Eurythmics? Sweet not, dreams are made of these. Sweet dreams were not made of these. This is a very different song. <laughs> what do we think about Into the West? I, I thought it was fine. I can see why it might have been um, nominated because you want to. Yep. I, and since it was, you know, well, it was, it, performed by... They took by, a great inspiration from Tolkien's yes. song and songs and verses yeah. in the book. We went over to the bookshelf and grabbed the book to look up some things. And there's multiple verses in the book 
in later chapters that while not outright taking the exact words heavily influenced the lyrics of this song this song was originally going to be the the original song was frodo's song which was frodo singing to sam as he left middle earth spoilers for the end of the movie but peter jackson wasn't super keen on that theory and then while howard shore who we'll talk about in a second because we also rolled best score was working on it there's a man named Cameron Duncan. Now, we haven't, you've never heard of him because he died when he was 17. He was born in New Zealand and he was a young filmmaker. Really young. Really young. <laughs> yeah. And. And a Scotch yeah. heritage. And Peter Jackson really liked where this kid was going. Like, actually was friends with him. Yeah. Uh, and he died in, uh, at age 17 from bone cancer. Ugh. And his passing basically jump-started everyone to write this song. The oh. first public performance was, of this song was at this kid's funeral. Wow. It's it's sad. It's slow. It's uh-huh. hope uh-huh. for the future. It's a good song. And you should all go on your YouTube. I'm not going to play it here because right. audio quality right. would be weird. But you should all go on your YouTube and listen to this song and let it inspire you to write something. Obviously it won. I uh, YouTube. Well, we'll have to find it on CD or something. I <laughs> uh, it really wasn't going up against much. Like I've never, I've haven't even heard. Well, tell of me the songs that went up against. Belleville Rendezvous from the Triplets of Belleville. Um, no. A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow from A Mighty Wind. No. Scarlet Tide from Cold Mountain. No. You will be my ain true love, also from Cold Mountain. No. From Academy Award winner Sting, who glows blue when orcs are nearby. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I haven't even heard of the movies that any of those songs were from. Finding Nemo didn't have any songs. Finding who? Finding Nemo. 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 N-E-M-O. Oh, okay. It's the, it won Best Animated Feature this year, but it didn't have any music in it. So it it was a Disney movie without music. It did get nominated for score, though. You took me there for a sec. I thought Mm. Nemo was works. Apologies. Mm. I, but... A very good song, and honestly, it was not a good year for songs, so it didn't take much, and they did way more than they had to. I will move on to a category they actually didn't win in, and were not nominated in: Best Cinematography. They were not even nominated. They were not which I'm even very nominated. Surprised about it. That's unreal. Yeah, that's unreal. I would have thought they would have been nominated. Even, I, even me as a novice yeah, in this yeah. business. Now I was impressed yeah. with the whole business yeah. there. Now I art direction. Art direction, they blew that out of the water. There was going to be no chance. Mm-hmm. But cinematography, the actual, like, the camera work of mm-hmm. filming it, it wasn't outstanding. It was good. It mm-hmm. showed off everything they needed mm-hmm. to, but there wasn't that, like, spark of creativity or doing something using the way that you're filming to enhance the story. That's that true. That didn't happen. It was just good. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it could have been nominated, or maybe they had decided, well, if it's not going to win, we won't nominate it, and we'll just give it the clean sweep. Mm-hmm. We don't know if that's what they were doing. But I think it's it definitely shouldn't have won. I yeah. don't think. I yeah. don't think it did enough yeah, to win. That, yeah. Right. Art direction, obviously. The sets were insane. Whoever, right. you know, it's Peter Jackson lives in New Zealand, looked outside and said, I want to make movies here. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> the, the entire thing was filmed and... Uh, produced there. It's a lot. It, it's really 
It was interesting the credits involved in special effects or this or the other mm-hmm. thing. I didn't know all these sources were there even in New Zealand. Well, and some some of them really like uh, the special effects studio Weta Digital mm-hmm. was basically created. I don't know if they were created for this film, but they're yeah. from New Zealand. Yeah, and they've gone on to keep doing big things. Uh, but our third role is in fact best score. So we get to talk about Howard Shore again. We've yeah. talked about him before. Yes, we have. Do you remember what it was for? Because it was Ed Wood. <laughs> Ed Wood. I saw something that? else referenced to that here. Just somewhere along. I said, hey, I know that. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, of course, he's done other things. He's done almost all of David Cronenberg's movies. He uh, he did the music for Mrs. Doubtfire, which I didn't realize. He did the music for Dogma. Now, there's a movie that I would not have expected a, you know someone with an actual career to do. Dogma's a weird movie. I don't know that one. You don't want to know that one. Okay. That one's that one's a weird movie. You would not have liked it. Okay. I uh, Oh yeah, no, here we go with like you can look on his uh, list of credits and it's yeah, like, you know, one line, one line, one line. Then you get to Lord of the Rings and it's suddenly this giant pile of awards he was nominated for. Oh. Then like small, small, big pile, small, big pile. Ooh, The Aviator with Martin Scorsese. The Departed with Martin Scorsese. His last, uh, nope, nope, we now get into the 2011's Hugo with Martin Scorsese. Uh, The movie's called Hugo. Uh, That one is also a very good movie that I really hope somehow comes to our uh, stage. Hugo is also a Saw Award. Yeah, the Hugo Awards, which sadly we don't get to talk about too much. But I think it was a very good score. Uh, They had really good use of repeated themes. Without... Hitting you over the head. Over the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could always With tell when it was. You could always tell when it was time for Happy Hobbit time because they would have the like, little yeah. Hobbit music. Where is the rest of the? And beat? you could tell when there was bad guys. Oh yeah, because our house would shake from the subwoofer. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell that the, the subwoofer is working. <laughs> it's true. I think it that was lovely. Given if we could have taken the day to watch all three of these and stayed awake for it and had our appropriate bathroom breaks and someone to come drip feed us pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who's going to get the work done? Yeah, time I got credit for yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it would have helped appreciate the little things throughout the movie because like at the very end when the moth... Sh- there's a... Spoilers for this movie. When the moth shows up mm-hmm. and... If you remember the previous two movies, you get to have the excitement before the person on screen does mm-hmm. of the eagles are coming. Mm-hmm. Because that happened in the first movie. Like, oh, like 15, 20 minutes into the movie, oh, that happens. So they're bookending the three films. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Okay. And it would have been nice to have everyone have that realization that I got to have to remember, oh yeah, that. Because yeah. I have a mind like a steel trap because there's a yeah. fox in it trying to gnaw its leg off. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, but I hope not. This concludes the era of the Lord of the Rings in the Academy Awards. Next week will not be a Lord of the Rings movie, and we will have to find something else to do. Yeah, we will. Uh, any other facts from you? I found one that I thought was interesting. An uncredited character, one of the Gondors, mm-hmm. is the great. Oh yeah, Roy Tolkien. Peter Jackson just sticks people in his movies. That was an interesting little tidbit. I'm going to build on that. Peter Jackson is in all of these movies yeah. as different side characters. Yeah. He's just, they just put him in costume. His kids are in at least two of these because they're also in Two Towers and they were in this one. Stephen Colbert is in one of the Hobbit movies. 
<laughs> because he basically defeated anyone. He publicly defeated anyone who doubted his knowledge of Tolkien to the point that essentially Peter Jackson was like, fine, you can be in one of the movies. And they gave him a like passing shot in one of the Hobbits. Well, and, and picking up on this, Howard Shore was in the film. Yep, he's uncredited. in. Uh, I believe he's in the extended version because the scene he's in was not in this version. He's in a oh. drinking contest between Legolas and Gimli <clears throat> where Legolas wins because he's an elf. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, right. Uh, but yeah, there's so much stuff to unpack here that we could be here all day and so you, we do kind of need to... Then we're not going to do yes. this. We do kind of need to put an end on this. So yeah, put the end on it. Oh, well, we want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the quality filmmaking. Bye. 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 Good night. <laughs>